Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello and good morning. Welcome to a beautiful Monday. It's a little bit cloudy over here in WA, but uh, not quite as cloudy as it has been for our friends in New South Wales. I hope you guys are all well over there and, uh, and not too badly affected by these floods. It's just a remarkable crazy summer isn't it for all of us and we're seeing the same thing in the north of western australia it's been very very unusual but you know what we're here and i'm here to help you with your garden and uh, maybe today we might be talking about some uh, waterlogged plants but we might also be talking about all the other challenges that you have coming your way now just to let you know we are streaming live from the garden guru's facebook page from stills facebook page from Garden Express's Facebook page and, of course, from our YouTube channel. So you can all post your questions in from there. Today, I've got my good mate David Van Berkel joining us from Garden Express. David and I are going to be chatting about a plant that we featured or a collection that we featured on the weekend, actually, and uh, had massive feedback. So we'll talk about those. There have been some incredible developments in the garden equipment industry. So uh, Power Garden has been um, something that's always evolved, but we've got uh, Silvio Mattis joining us from still a bit later on. We're going to talk about battery-powered garden tools, and this is just a game changer. And I've got a little bit of history for you. It's a little bit of nostalgia in a way. I've got a very good friend of mine, uh, the Managing Director of Holman, Wally Edwards. He's going to stop by chat to us about um, 20 plus years of Holman. Um, been an amazing history. They do some pretty incredible things. We'll share the background. I reckon that that will be um, something that you'll really enjoy. Now, remember, the whole reason we're here is to answer your gardening questions. So uh, there's going to be four packets of uh, the Fothergill seeds to go out, and including peas, which is something that many of us in the country should be planting in our gardens now. And we've got this wonderful book uh, as well. So Two Dogs in a Garden by Derrily Cherry. It's a beautiful book and uh, the best question of the day will receive that. And Lockie will make that decision a bit later on. But before we, uh, before we go into uh, any of the main things, I want to answer your questions. So let's fly into some of those. They're coming in from all over the country. Let's have a look at the first one being from Newcastle. Christine, good morning to you. Your mango tree's got black and brown spots on the leaves. What could cause this? Well, it's caused by a disease called anthracnose. Now, it is a bacterial disease, and the best way to control it is using uh, copper-based sprays. Uh, I would pop into my local garden centre, talk to them about it. It's really important that you spray it now. 
Um, it really is a significant problem as the weather cools down. So you need to get on top of it and your mango should, uh, if you feed it at the same time you spray it from the anthracnose, it should flush some more foliage and you should be fine. Dan is in Perth. Hello, Dan. I'm looking to plant bulbs such as daffodils and tulips. What's the best compost to use and which bulbs can be planted in the shade? Well, the answer to that is that as long as you've, you've enriched your soil, so adding a good composted material into the soil, um, as long as you've done that and your soil's not too sandy, that it, that it is rich and it's holding moisture, you can start planting in the next few weeks, to be quite honest. You probably want to wait till we just get a little bit of colder weather, 38 degrees yesterday and 37 the day before. Still too hot really to be putting your um, spring flowering bulbs like daffs and tulips in. And the answer about them being planted in the shade, absolutely, they'll do really well. Um, I've got great results, uh, particularly from tulips in shady spots in my garden. Now, Leonie is in Adelaide, so we're going down to South Australia. She's going to be moving house. She wants to dig up a couple of her favourite roses and put them into pots. What's my advice considering it's not pruning time yet? Well, it's always pruning time with roses, so the more you prune them, the more growth they produce, the more flowers they produce. So don't be scared to prune your roses, um, and I would. I would probably reduce them by half. Uh, you want to have some leaves left on them, but, but literally take the vast majority of the leaves off. Want to dig as much of the root system out as you possibly can and i would soak it absolutely soak it with sea salt so it needs to, to have that seaweed extract now sea salt is not a fertilizer it is a plant tonic um, and really what it does is it stimulates new fine root growth and that's going to help them transplant uh, super well keith is in moorbank in new south wales and he's asking will plants recover if flood waters were covering them for a few days um, Keith's in a flood-prone area, but luckily on some higher ground with a river nearby flooding. Keith, they will recover. Um, the longer they're underwater, obviously, the bigger the problem. And the longer that the, the ground is saturated, the bigger the problem. But there's not a lot you can do once your ground is saturated and you're getting this ongoing rain. Um, they're just going to have to to grind it out. I, I have talked over the last couple of weeks about a product um, that, uh, that I, I have a really significant interest in. Um, it's called Biogenic Amorphic Silica. It's a highly porous product and uh, we sell it as Mineral Magic. It's just going into garden centres in New South Wales in the coming week. And when you pour this over the surface of the soil, it's going to suck moisture up. If you put it into the soil, it's going to do exactly the same thing. It's going to suck moisture to the product and that'll reduce the saturation of the soil. So it's not what we intended it for but it's certainly going to help a little bit. So um, I hope that helps, Keith. I hope everything's okay for you and for everybody else in New South Wales going through these very, very difficult times. It's a really bizarre uh, weather pattern we've seen this year. Um, I'm going to go straight to my mate, uh, David Van Burkle. We've got the Garden Express offer of the week. And David, good morning to you. How's life treating you, mate? You okay there? What's the weather like in Melbourne? Pretty mild today. We've uh, got about 30 or 40 mil coming this week. Um, nothing right. compared to, uh, yeah, what's going on up north, right? So, um, yeah, dramatic year. It's been a dramatic year. And, and you know, we you talk about uh, New South Wales. It's happening in the north of Western Australia. Obviously, very little population up there. But uh, some of the locals are telling me that the waterfalls and the Kimberleys, um, there's waterfalls that are flowing up there that haven't flowed for six or seven years. So, um they're seeing record rains up in that part of the world. So it's just a, 
just a very, very strange time of the year. Now, listen, David, on the weekend, we did a story and uh, it's caused a storm on social media, Australian native plants. Now, people should be getting them into their gardens now, particularly once the, the, once the ground has been saturated, it's the time to get them in, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, you want to avoid planting in the heat of summer and, uh, and I think most of the country's turned a little bit mild. So really, really good time to, uh, to put in your natives, especially with some of them flowering from, from winter. Uh, and then, of course, magnificent blooms through spring and summer as well. Yeah, and but you've got your deal, which is what's caused a storm. Um, five plants for twenty dollars. Is, is that for real? Did I? Is that a, a misprint? No, Trev. That's uh, that's just one of the deals that we like to bring from time to time. We uh, we put a fair wow. bit of programming into getting these plants grown for us to um, to be able to put a deal like this together. So uh, a limited quantity available. But we actually have a much bigger range of native plants and all the way up to 140 mil size pots as well for something more established, Trev. It's amazing, mate. So, I mean, this is obviously one of those things where it's very timely because it really is the autumn when these plants go in. You want them to establish in the autumn, get a little bit of growth onto them. They'll actually flower in the, the winter, usually late winter, early spring. So by then, you've got a decent sort of established plant. But most importantly, they've got a decent root system established. So it's really important for them getting, I suppose, um, uh, you know, getting the best possible start in the new home. Because pretty much with the varieties that you've selected, and we're talking about um, Banksias, Myoporum, um, the Coria, Grevillea Scarlet Sprite, Westringia Jervis Gem, these are plants that are incredibly hardy. So once they're in and established, they don't need to be watered um, afterwards, do they? they? They'll be fine. You're exactly right there, Trevor. You know, like the, just uh, those first few weeks of settling them in, nice moist soil, as you said, and the temperature down a little bit, uh, and, and they'll get away. And, and a couple of months in, you won't recognise the plant that you've put into the garden. You know, they'll just get away so well. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the beauty with the natives. And this collection gives you that diversity of something a little bit more upright, uh, as well as the ground cover. Beautiful, beautiful number of blooms, Trevor. Like we just love to see the garden full of uh, full of stuff for the bees and the birds. I was about to say it's the bees and the birds that'll benefit the most from this particular collection. Um, but David, you know, Garden Express, what makes you guys so special is that you've got so many different plants. There's such a wide diversity. The, the, the region where you guys are located for a start is one of the country's premier growing regions. So your access into the best growers in Australia is, is second to none. But then your ability to reach, you know, everybody on a personal level because you deliver to the home, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. Look, the, uh, I mean, we used to call it a mail order, right? But, uh, uh, the, the online store is really kicking off. And you're right, we're up in Mombok, we're the, the centre of, uh, of what you know, began the nursery industry in Victoria. Uh, and whilst there's growers in a much wider selection now, um, there's a lot of uh, growers on the Mornington Peninsula, for example. And that actually yep. presents more diversity than the colder climate that we've got up on the mountain. Um, mm. So delivering Australia-wide, of course, um, you know, through the mail system and the different couriers that we've got, we can reach pretty much anywhere in the country. That is just fantastic, David. So let's just confirm this is five Australian natives for $20. It's a saving of 30% and you will deliver this direct to people's doorsteps and all they have to do to get their hands on them? Uh, go to the website, www.gardenexpress.com.au. What have you got planned for the rest of the week, mate? Is it a busy time there? 
Uh, it's really busy. The farm's, um, the farm's sort of heading into a bit of a quiet season. We're towards the end of our flowers, uh, got on top of most of the weeding, and we're just sort of ready to harvest our first crops maybe just after Easter. Uh, the, the packaging side of things, we're still flat out with some great deals to come. Flower Fest is on its way over the next week or so, uh, which uh-huh. is replacing the Melbourne Flower and International Garden Show. So we're going to do all of that online, Trevor. And the team's been working really hard to put together some really cool deals. So keep your eyes so we can talk about, for those. I was going to say, we could talk about that next week? Absolutely. Yeah, that'll be so much fun. But interestingly, Brilliant. I'm on a plane tomorrow to, uh, to Katoomba. We're landing in Sydney. So I'm hoping I can cross some of those bridges and I'll get a first-hand experience of what the gardeners are dealing with up there. Um, so that'll be, that'll be lovely. Well, look, we're, we're getting questions flowing through thick and fast at the moment, and there's quite a few of them that tie in with this particular issue. So stay tuned, mate. Thanks so much for your contribution, as always. You're a very important part of what we do. Thanks. We really appreciate your support. And have a great week, and I'll speak to you next week, eh? My pleasure, mate. Looking forward to it. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Now, we'll fly into these questions because there's a lot coming through. Uh, in Wyong, in New South Wales, um, now it's Kay Janice um, has come through and said, uh, could all this New South Wales rain be bad for the garden? Look, when plants are saturated, if they're too saturated, it can be problematic. It's the, going to be the period of time. It is natural for ground to saturate. It is natural for us to get into you know, these uh, rain events where everything becomes quite sodden, but it does need to dry out. So you don't want to leave it wet for too long. And uh, that's really going to be the determination. What you are going to see, though, is the onset of a lot of fungal problems, um, both possibly soil and, and foliage. So high humidity will will result as uh, obviously as all this rain sort of comes through and um, it, it could be a problem. So, you know, things on roses, black spot, mildews, you will have to watch out for these and they might need to get a bit of a spray to keep them clean. But as a general comment, this is Mother Nature at her very best. She's going to challenge us. We live in Australia and we do get some pretty full-on extremes from heat to sudden soakings, it is just what we get for living here. Now, we're going to come back to, to WA because Rhonda is in Mandra, which is 100 kilometres south of Perth, a beautiful coastal town, and she would like to t- she would like me to tell you when to fertilise dragon fruit and what sort of fertiliser do I use, how long before it fruits. I've just literally done a story at home uh, where we've shown some dragon fruit in my garden. I love dragon fruit. It's one of my favourites. And there's a few different types. There's the red, there's a purple, there's a white, and there's also a yellow. And um, they are all epiphytes, so they're a, a type of cactus. And the interesting thing about them is they don't need a huge amount of fertiliser. In fact, if you do feed them a lot, you'll end up with a lot of growth and you may not end up with a lot of fruit. So the best thing to do is to get your plants to the size that you want them and then back off the fertiliser. And the only time you would feed them is after you've harvested your crops. So it's just before we go into winter in the West 
um, and the, in the cooler conditions, you give them a bit of a feed, the plant takes up that nutrient, and then it basically goes into a bit of a dormancy through the winter, but it's strong and it's healthy and it's able to get through uh, pretty well. So, and that'll give it a good start for the springtime. So wait until probably mid to late April. That's when most of the dragon fruit in the Mandra area will have been harvested. If you haven't seen flowers by now, it's unlikely it's going to flower this year. Um, and when it comes to the type of fertiliser to use, well, that's a good, really good point. And, and I would certainly suggest that you use a controlled release fertiliser. So um, we always talk about Osmocote, we talk about Traforte, those kinds of fertilisers will slowly feed the plant over a period of time. And it's that six week period of time that's most important. So. I would recommend you do that, Rhonda, and you will eventually get some pretty stunning fruit. They're really good. Felice is in Victoria. You've got a six-year-old plum tree. It's very overgrown. What's the best time to prune this back, please? Probably a month ago would have been the best time because you would have got a little bit more growth, um, but now they're heading into dormancy. And really, probably in Victoria, depending upon where you are, I would suggest that you look at the latter part of winter, probably around about July. Now, the goal for you then will be there'll be no foliage on the tree, so it's to have a look at the shape of the tree, to take out any branches that might cross over each other. So you'll take one away so they don't rub against each other and that opens them up to all sorts of other problems. And the other thing is to get the heart of the tree open. So it's to open up to allow sunlight to come in. And um, that should help you. I hope that helps. So. June, July is probably going to be the best time for you, Felice. Helen is in the coastal southwest um, area of Western Australia. Um, tomorrow, and she raises a good point, is National Eucalyptus Day. How about some advice on Eucalyptus cineraria, which is a beautiful, um, beautiful silver foliaged tree. Um, and you know what? That interesting thing about it, um, she, once she wants to grow them, Helen wants to grow them for cut flower display. But... Um, they, they are a very, very uh, high oil content plant as well. And these high oil content uh, trees tend to be very, very good for keeping um, some of the pests away, things like mosquitoes. And uh, this is a really good example of where they really will help a little bit. But look, when it comes to growing them, free draining soil, um, when they're when they're small, a controlled release fertilizer. Those tree planting tablets, if you're putting them into the ground, or even if you've got a mature tree, banging some some holes in with a hollow post, and then taking a core of the soil out and popping the tree planting tablets into the soil around the outside perimeter of the of, of the plant, because they tend to be fairly upright, is a good way to go. But what a beautiful foliage tree! Absolutely stunning, and of course, as you rightly point out, Helen. National Eucalyptus Day tomorrow. There you go. So maybe it's time to get one in. Perfect time of the year. Patty has written into us. Patty, you didn't tell us where you're from. This is something we do like to try and encourage you to do. Um, tell us where you're from. Tell us uh, the, the town, the, the the location, if you can. And it does help in picking out um, or helping out with the uh, with the question. Your question is, what's the best time to prune the mock orange? Can you propagate it using cuttings? The best time is during winter. And uh, that's also the best time to take cuttings as well. So um, ideal scenario is to take the cuttings and have a heat tray. So you can get these propagation trays, the little heat bed on the bottom. You pop the pot on top, the cuttings are inside, the heat tray's there, and the warmth encourages those roots to develop quite quickly. Now, with the mock orange, one of the important things to do is to use a um, root 
stimulants, so a, a plant hormone, and uh, there's a few of them out there, uh, but I would have a talk to your local garden so that you can get gels, you can get powders, and uh, you want to be taking uh, basically tip cuttings ideally or semi-hardwood at the absolute maximum. Hardwood cuttings won't work with it, so that helps, Patty. Remember, folks, if you like what you're seeing on today's show, please hit the like button. Um, and if you haven't, subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's a great resource as well. Our plant of the week. I, I've chosen something a little controversial this week. Now, you might have a lot of these around and you might be thinking, what do I do with them? Well, they're agapanthus. And, of course, that is the agapanthus flower. I've got a couple of varieties at the moment that are flowering in my garden uh, still, even at this moment in time. But I've got a lot that have gone well and truly to seed. And you can see the black seed hanging there off the flower head. And the last thing you want is those to be blowing around in the garden or worse, getting into, into bushland. So my recommendation is right now is a good time to go through, harvest these, just cut them off. And it does stop the plant putting a lot of energy into these, does encourage it to grow a bigger, stronger, healthier base. Um, it's a really important thing to try and control them. In some areas, they can be a weed. I think they're a massive, you know, garden asset here in Western Australia. And I've never seen them really become uh, a, a weed of any significance at all. But, you know, you do have to be careful. Uh, certainly in some places in New South Wales, they've been seen growing up the side of mountains. So it's the last thing you want to do. And this is a plant that loves a lot of rain. So um, those seeds will germinate really quickly if you're in New South Wales at the moment or, or um, southern Queensland. So um, take those flower heads off, best bit of advice. It is a wonderful water-wise plant and certainly something that you should be thinking about um, sort of adding into your garden as a border plant um, if you love those beautiful blue, white, and now you can get pink uh, flowers. And, of course, there's dwarfs and there's also the big, big versions. Now, we've got a promo coming up for you to show you what's coming up this week on The Garden Gurus. Autumn is the best time to improve your lawn naturally to help it recover from the stresses of summer and prepare it for winter. Now, I'll show you how to do this easily as well as improve your lawn's soil and increase worm activity. You've got to love those worms and they'll love you right back. For more great gardening advice, join us this Saturday on The Garden Gurus. I'm going to answer a few more questions, then we're going to chat to my mate Wally Edwards um, and talk about the last 25 years of Holman. Now, let's go to one of our, our really good friends, Teller. Hello, Teller. It's lovely to hear from you. You're in New South Wales. I hope it's not too wet there. When's the best time to collect casuarina seeds in New South Wales? Well, the best time to collect casuarina seeds, this was one of the very first plants I ever grew. Um, and uh, professionally anyway, certainly I grew them for street trees uh, for many, many years ago when I worked growing on and running a council um, nursery. But it's it's actually as the season dries. So it's really determined by um, the seasonality where you are. In this case, in New South Wales, right at the moment, you don't want to be collecting casuarina seeds. The, the nuts will be um, probably dropping but um, the seed is going to fall out pretty quickly what you want to do is get a dry spell and then collect those seeds it's really important um, teller that'll help you an awful lot now um, let me just have a look i have lost my screen here we go um, ron is in the northern suburbs in perth now 
Ron asked a very good question that um, coffee grounds, are they good for the garden? Is it true? So coffee grounds are a very good source of carbon. That's the first thing you need to know. They, they will do a lot of good. In fact, in high levels, coffee grounds also act as a bit of a natural insecticide for mollusks, which uh, that includes things like obviously slugs and snails. So if you were to run lines of coffee grounds around the outside of garden beds, what you will find is the plants or in, in circles around the outside of plants that you don't want them getting onto, what you'll find is they won't cross over. They don't like them. Um, they become, there's a couple of things that they don't like about them. One is the actual texture and it, it gets stuck in them. And two is that um, the actual caffeine that, that remains in those grounds uh, is a bit of a natural insecticide for them. So it will knock them around a bit. So they are good. But there is always a but, and it's like all things in life. Too much of any one thing is not necessarily good for you. And in this particular instance, uh, too much, uh, too much of the coffee grounds in any one location in the garden can make it. Um, it's almost like a, it becomes acidified, and it means that uh, a lot of plants start to struggle to grow. So, my recommendation is that you do make sure that you are very, very careful because um, you can put them in, you can turn them into the topsoil, but don't get to the point where it's just sort of really thick. Now, we're getting a few more questions coming through. Uh, Anya's in Parramatta in New South Wales. Thinking of you out there at Parramatta at the moment, Anya, there's um, a fair bit of um, fair bit of water there. Um, quick question, can you grow dragon fruit from the seeds from a store-bought fruit? You love experimenting, and the answer to that is absolutely. Um, you definitely can do that. They they really really do um, grow quite well. The trick really is to get a sandy uh, peaty. So it's a combination of fifty percent sand, fifty percent peat um, as a propagation mix. The idea is that you literally sow these little fine seeds over the top of the ground water it in and they'll stick to the surface and they'll drop their roots down. They take a lot longer, obviously, to grow and it's probably a three or four-year period of time before you really start to see the plants motor away. But when they do, well, you can get variations. Um, so it depends on what the parent was. And um, if you've got two different parents, a white and a, and a red or a purple, for example, who knows what you're going to end up with? So that's kind of one of the exciting things. So there's a, a bit of incentive maybe to to experiment a bit, and yeah, I hope that helps. Jody. I'm not sure where you're from, and uh, it probably to some extent does sort of determine what uh, the answer is to your question because it depends on where your athol pines are located. Now, what Jody's asking for is um, can you grow plants under athol pines and what can you grow near them? Well, they do. Um, they do grow, uh, because they're quite a dense, shady uh, canopy, there are certain things that will do really well. So uh, suggestions could be things like bromeliads, native orchids, things like um, dendrobium orchids, absolutely brilliant in that environment. And I've also seen uh, some pretty cool uh, crops uh, of hydrangeas growing on them. And Jody's just confirmed she's in New Mexico, New South Wales. I don't even know where that is. But... Um, Again, probably getting a fair bit of rain. But look, the, the big thing, this is the thing, if you're going to grow hydrangeas, for instance, under there, the, the very important thing that you want to know 
is that the soil is acidic. So those hydrangeas are going to produce blue flowers. But the other thing is that you need to have irrigation under there. Now, that's a really important thing. Um, when you when you look at uh, any under canopy planting, what the tree does very successfully is shade out moisture getting down underneath that canopy. And it's a natural uh, mechanism there. It's designed to stop competitive plants taking out nutrient. But if you put moisture in there, you tend to find that the um, the, the little pine needles, um, they actually make a very, very good uh, sort of acidic mulch and a good growing medium. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Now, pretty pretty pleased because Wally Edwards has been able to join us. And Wally, it's great to catch up with you this morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, your uh, your backdrop looks almost as good as mine, mate. <laughs> they could have been made in the same factory, I think, Trevor. <laughs> they prob- probably were. They probably were. Hey, Wally... Um, you know, I've worked with you for a long period of time now, and um, we've seen some pretty amazing innovations. I know you've got a lot of exciting things in the pipeline, but it's really what you've built your business on. Tell me a little bit about Holman. Well, Holman, uh, we're a business that's been going for 50 years or 54 years in Perth. Uh, my wife and I bought it uh, 30 years ago, 1991, and really we're you know, we're a company that have been focused in the garden, garden products. Uh, started really with irrigation. Irrigation's my, my background, engineering, then irrigation, pumps and yep. pipe. And uh, that sort of morphed now into uh, other products like, you know, garden lighting and vertical gardens and all those sorts of products, as well as uh, some plumbing products, for fittings for sewer and PVC pressure fittings and that sort of range of products. So we do quite a range. We need to have quite a range to uh, be able to weather all the issues that come and go with watering and water restrictions and water and all the other... I was going to say, you've seen some pretty significant challenges in that 30 years of your ownership of Holman. Um, You know, water restrictions in Western Australia would have been a, a really significant one. Oh, yeah, no, the, 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 the noughties from about 2002, the great drought that went from 2002, I think, to about 2010, yeah, really times for us. Uh, you know, we, we, we did well to survive them, actually. You know, we had, we just set up an office in Melbourne when the, when the drought really kicked in, mm-hmm. and it was tough times, you know, because really the whole of the East Coast couldn't water. And Perth, you could still at least water two days a week. Uh, yep. and, and to be effective with two days a week watering, you definitely need automatic watering or you'll never manage it. So automatic watering in Perth kept us alive, really, because that's our, our real heritage is are our electronic control equipment for home garden watering. 
I was going to say, you know, that, that's probably where it's it's most interesting, Wally, is that you've gone from, you know, some pretty basic kind of controllers now to technology that allows people to control their uh, their watering either through Bluetooth, but most recently more so through Wi-Fi. So you can be controlling your water supply to your garden pretty much from anywhere in the world as long as you've got an internet connection. Well, that's the modern world, Trevor. You've got to keep moving forward. And uh, perhaps the, 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 the really positive thing of both Bluetooth and Wi-Fi is the ease of programming on your mm -hmm. phone. You're able to control it on your phone because when you, you know, with uh, over the years we've made many different controllers, uh, is trying to make it easy for the, the householder to use because every one of them has so many complex bits, you know, days of the week, times, times it starts, how many times do you start, how long do you water how many stations, all that stuff, and people get confused. But on the phone, it's so much easier with your touch screen to be able to easily uh, do what you want to do as well, apart from you know being able to access it wherever you are. And the next generation, yeah. we're working on the next generation now. Will will you know measure your flow? It'll give, send you alerts for faults in your system things like that, which is really where the next generation is going. This is all about, you know, being able to conserve water um, in a way, you know, use it effectively, but but instead of um, suffering the, the challenges we used to have of, you know, of waste through burst pipes or cracked fittings or things like that, all these things are going to be, you know, I think probably one of the most exciting is probably that measurability. So actually knowing how much water you're using, these are things that, we never had available to us before, and it's the exciting future. And and having a heritage in WA, probably when it came to watering, um, really has allowed you to be right on the front edge of that innovation because the technology you're, you've developed is technology that's being um, deployed and, and, and enjoyed worldwide in countries like ours that tends to get very dry at certain times of the year. Yeah, no, over the years, Trevor, I think we've probably innovated as much as anybody in the world in this area, focused on garden watering. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, product and research goes into agricultural watering and conservation in that marketplace, but we, we focus on the garden. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's lots of things that have uh, come and gone, but the future is uh, more exciting than ever, really. You know, the, the, the potential of uh, the internet, you know, and measuring devices, moisture in the soil, how much mm -hmm. goes on, how much evaporating, uh, turning the system down automatically when it rains, all those sort of things are all, will all come together uh, over the next few years. They're all happening before our very eyes, aren't they, these things, which is, is exciting uh, in that space. But it's not just limited to watering. So one of the... One of the big challenges I think that um, gardeners had for a long period of time was was we all like to have outdoor garden lighting to be able to showcase, you know, all the work that we've done and the great results, and the beautiful plants we have in our gardens. But then um, the, the quality of the product that was available for such a long period of time, you know, often you were twitching wires together and doing all sorts of strange things. And, of course, you know, once once that sort of stuff comes in contact with water, you know, th those systems would last six months, 12 months sometimes, and they'd be all over. But you really, uh, this is another area you looked at, and you went, right, well, 
you know, let's take some let's take some of our engineering expertise and create something that's that's waterproof. And your garden lighting system attached to the fact that it's also controlled via Wi-Fi or, or Bluetooth. It's mm. um, it's state of the art, isn't it? Well, yeah, no, it's been fantastic. We're really pleased with how that that whole project came together. Um, uh, you know, we're, I've, I've always been involved in garden lighting ever since I first got into the irrigation world, really, back in 1981. Um, mm -hmm. We put in garden lighting then, but it was all 240 volt, in, in conduits, you know, 500 mil under the ground, all this sort of stuff. But the effect of it uh, was stunning. And uh, so all through my business career, I've tried to do garden lighting. So it's it's been, I think, the current uh, pro, pro products that we've released are probably version five or six, uh, but they are really good. I'm really pleased with the way uh, that they work, all plug and socketed uh, with the yep. Bluetooth or yep. Wi-Fi controls, change of colour. LED, by the way, has changed the world in this area yep. because yep. not only not only have you got all these uh, you know wonderful things like colour changes and different colours you can all do with the one light, um, you, you, they don't use as much power. And one of the, the yeah, great ends yeah. of garden lighting over the years has been getting enough power into the garden to effectively light it up. You know, there's there's lots of things out there with solar and all that, but they really don't light the, the, they don't light the garden up. They, you can see there's a light there, but it doesn't show you the extent of a you know, a magnificent tree or nice shrubs or whatever you yeah, might want to yeah. highlight. Uh, so that's all been achieved now because of LED, because, you know, you're using about a tenth of the power to get the same amount of light. It's a quite remarkable invention, actually, LEDs. Yeah. yeah. And look, you know, the, the real key, I reckon, is the, the plug and socket too. I, I mean, keeping moisture out of those, those power cables is vitally important. Well, uh, the other... The other big benefit of plug and socket, Trevor, is you can change it. It's like Lego. You know, if mm. you don't quite like it, you want to add another light, you can whack it in, you know, with a, another another joiner. Uh, so yeah. it's all, it, it can be removed, really. If, you, if you're just renting a house, you could put in a lighting system and take it away when you leave, you know. It's, uh, it's very portable and very easy to use and it's, and it's trouble-free. That's the, the big bit. You know, because as you said earlier, the the, the complexity of joining cables and uh, getting the polarity right, right. If you get the polarity wrong, you get a dead short. Then you have a fire or something. You know, it, it's quite dangerous. So, what what we've come up with you know, is a real winner, and it's selling really well. And we're very pleased. You know, we want to expand the range now. That's the next thing we're we're working on. And Wally, you got um, all your products available through Bunnings, so people are able to, to find that, along with some other leading retailers around the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, Bunnings have been big supporters of ours, and we, we, you know, they've done a great job. But we're, yeah, we're also in Mitre 10 and irrigation shops. All those people can buy the lighting, and you can access the lighting through those places. Wally, you guys are all about smart gardening. It's 25 years of, uh, of Holman uh, that you're, uh, you're celebrating at the moment, I believe. It's a, it's a big achievement. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. I look forward to seeing you again in person real soon. This podcast is brought to you by Still and Evergreen Garden Care. 
still is Australia's most trusted brand of garden power tools, backed by 95 years of German engineering excellence. To get your hands on their range, visit your local still dealer today or visit still.com.au. All right, so we'll get into some questions. You guys are firing through your questions. There are so many coming through at the moment. Um, and I think we'll go up to Queensland straight away. Catherine, you are looking for some tips on growing olive trees in pots. Now, olives grow beautifully in pots. In fact, they love that sort of environment. Um, the trick with them is actually in the early stages, get them off to a good start. So get them into really good potting mix and they'll grow away. You then want to get the shape of the tree right and um, keep the fertiliser up to them. Interestingly enough, olives actually need to have chill hours. So they need some cooler nights to stimulate good crops. So that's one thing you need to keep in mind. And one of the other benefits of olives is not just the fruit, but also those new leaves, those, those wonderful little new leaves as they come through. Olive leaf extract has been proven to be unbelievably good for us and for our cellular health and our general well-being. It's uh, antibacterial, antifungal, antivirus, good reason for you to grow them and actually use the leaves as well. Now, from our YouTube channel, um, Exude uh, One, I think if I've got that right, has asked a question. My alocasia is invest, infested with, with spider mites and spraying eco neem oil doesn't seem to help. What else can you do? I would recommend that um, we will pop up some details um, on our Facebook page. There is a company that ships predatory mites and they will take care of the red spider mite and clear them off and you'll have a natural balance of predator versus you know um the the pest and it'll take control of it it's a really significant problem and if you don't do something about spider mites now you are going to have some big issues going into the future there are some pretty nasty chemicals out there you can spray but the truth of the matter is that you will be in a situation where you're putting a chemical that will also kill any beneficial insects um and unfortunately, the more you use it, the more the mites become resistant to it. So they start they start becoming tolerant and therefore you, you have to pour more chemical on. The only person who's going to suffer with that is going to be you in the long term. You don't want these nasty chemicals in your soil, in your garden, on your plants, and definitely not coming in contact with you. So look for the predatory insects. They do make a big difference and uh, it's a really good way to go. Now, remember, folks, tell us where you're from. Really important you let us know where you're from, um, town, uh, obviously state. And if you're sending us, uh, if you want something to be identified, then send us a photo too and we'll have a look. Um, we are going to also go back to the YouTube channel. We've got another question. This is from Funky Soul Dancer. I love it. Good on you. Um, I have a lemon tree and it's been attract it's attracted stink bugs. Okay. They're they're crusader, crusader beetles and they do stink. Um, you've cut it right back, but so do the bugs are returning. Is my tree ruined now? Interestingly enough, the, the crusader beetle tends to get on the new foliage. So when you cut it back, you stimulate lots of new foliage. So you're probably providing them a good food source. What you can do is you can deter them by using sulfur. Um, fight fire with fire. So sulfur stinks and they don't like it and that's a good way to go. So um, I hope that that, um, that helps you there. Now, um, 
Let's have a look down here. We've got, uh, look, we'll answer, we'll answer some more questions. There's quite a few coming through, quite a few out of New South Wales uh, as well this week, but we might go straight into an interview I did earlier this week with Silvio Mattis, who's from Still, and uh, Still are a major supporter of ours, but some of the stuff they're doing with power tools and, and power gardening is just world-beating stuff. So I wanted to have a talk to Silvio. He's got a great story. Silvio, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Now, you know what? This is a fascinating area um, of the whole garden industry. I've always loved power garden tools because they make the job so much easier, particularly if you've got a big property in keeping it clean. Um, but when it comes to getting the job done in around neighbourhoods and that sometimes the, the ringing out of, of high-powered engines has become quite annoying for neighbours, but there's been a massive revolution in, in the whole power garden industry in recent years, hasn't there, with the introduction of batteries? Absolutely. Um, we started doing battery equipment in 2009, so we were always excited to jump into that forefront and sort of jump into that revolution because it definitely is the future. I suppose the thing to understand is still, you know, they are one of those brands that just is, it's such a reliable brand. Um, and the the engine technology you've employed has always done the job beautifully. And particularly for professionals um, who still rely on it and probably always will do. They're absolutely fabulous. But batteries weren't initially that successful. They didn't last as long. There were other issues associated with them. But now, with your new battery systems, it's completely changed the game. Well, I think batteries, as many people know, started as that lead cell type of system where everyone's had horror stories in the past of, you know, the battery losing energy after a year and then they have to replace it or whatever the case may be. But now with new lithium-ion technology, it's, it's absolutely foolproof. It's one of those sort of systems where you have that same reliability as if it were a mechanical motor. Um, you press a button and it starts. You always have your charge whenever you need to have it. It's, it's just like charging your iPhone um, or your Samsung or whatever the case may be. You just yeah. pop it on charge for you to go whenever you need it. And, and this is what I find now in my garden. So, so my, my garden tools have dramatically changed and I have this great collection of still battery power tools. Tell me about the three ranges. So we start off with what we call the AI line. Now the AI line is this uh, FSA 45, which I'm holding now. And the AI basically means that the battery is integrated into the machine. So if I click that there, you'll see the charge light and that's indicated that the battery's inside the unit. Now this is ideal for homes that are small to medium in size. Yeah. And it's for situations like a, a unit or a townhouse where someone can quickly duck out, do their lawns in about half an hour or so on a Saturday morning and be ready to rock and roll for the rest of the weekend. Yeah. If you do need something bigger, we of course facilitate that, but essentially the AI line starts at 199. So it's nice and affordable to get your hands into the steel brand. That's incredibly affordable. And the, the important thing for people to remember is it's all about reliability, right? So if you've got a small garden, you want to keep it looking, you know, neat and trim and, you know, have some things to do the odd job here and there. This is where the AI line really comes into its own. But for those people who are probably medium-sized gardens to even larger-sized gardens, the AK system is probably the one to go to. Absolutely. I'll quickly fetch one. Okay. So this here is our HSA 56. And just as you mentioned, it's part of that system uh, which is designed for small to also to medium to larger um, yeah. domestic properties. Here we actually have a removable battery, which you can then plug into about 10 different uh, tools. And that range is growing year on year massively. So 
it's a very, very safe system. Um, everything, everything inside the machine has been developed with ergonomics and safety in mind, especially. One of the things that you guys do very well is you put um, you put titles on your on your product. That is a hedge trimmer. There is no doubt in my mind about it. So take the cover off and show everybody what this looks like. Just and and when you talk about safety, so hedge trimmers are a tool that you really do have to be very careful with. Now, there's three points basically of, of safety on this one, isn't there? Absolutely. So the first one is the battery itself. Yep. Now, when you plug the battery in, all of our AK models have a secondary um, housing uh, position. So what that means is if I press the throttle, nothing happens. Yep. But at the yep. same token, it's not going to fall out if I decide to um, move around the garden with it. So it's really nice and safe, especially if you have little kids running around and you yep. might be concerned about them accidentally pressing the throttle. Mm -hmm. Once the battery is inside the machine, you've actually got a two-stage um, throttle activation. So not only do you have to press the safety on the top to activate the throttle, but you have to squeeze the top handle as well for the machine to work. Yep. Now, once you are working, we have a tip protector on the blade itself, yep. and we also have these little eyelets which separate the blade um, from the operator. So if you do come into contact with your leg or, or something that shouldn't be cut, Yep. Um, that'll be nice and safe at the same token as well. It's it, it's one of the really important things and it's come so far because you're quite right. Once upon a time, you only needed to touch the throttle with some of these very early models of these things and they would start to move. So it's one of the things that I absolutely love about still is the level of safety and thought that's gone into it. I wanted to ask you the AI line and the AK system, how long do the batteries last? So the batteries uh, inside them, as I mentioned, they're all lithium ion. So they're all yep. different forms of the same lithium ion cell, just in different shapes. Yep. So for example, the AI line has it integrated into the machine. The AK has it built into this specific housing and, and yep. so on and so forth. So the batteries all necessarily have the same sort of lifespan. Now there's of course little uh, tips and tricks on how to extend that battery life. Um, yeah. But back in the day, as I mentioned, traditionally when you had a battery tool, you had to deplete it and then top it up with charge again before you use it. Yeah. Whereas now with lithium iron, um, you pretty much just set and forget. So yeah. once it's topped yeah. up, you can leave it. But ideally, if you are going to be leaving it alone for roughly three months or so, we always recommend you leave it at about 40 to 60% charge, which is equivalent to um, two lights on the LED screen. Great, great advice. Now, the the second part of that lasting is this, this uh, particularly when you start to move into, it doesn't really matter with the smaller gardens, but certainly when you move into a medium and large size garden, how long does the AK system battery last as far as a job goes? Well, the HSA 56, um, perfect example. Um, it really depends on what you're doing. Now, I'm going to use a, a Formula One car as an analogy. Yeah. The number one thing with Formula Ones is aerodynamics, and we all know it's very hard to move air. So a blower, which is moving air, takes a lot of energy consumption to do the job that it needs to do. So it has a lower runtime than a hedge trimmer. And the reason being is a hedge trimmer is a spindle going around in a circle. It's generally cutting quite thin leaves. Yeah. So what that necessarily means is that a hedge trimmer like this will have a runtime of about uh, 50 minutes on its standard AK-10 battery and 100 minutes with a bigger uh, AK-20 battery. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it in a battery tool, right now, if I'm not touching the throttle, we're not using any runtime or charge time. Now, if you think about using a blower around your patio or your garden, and you think, oh, the job generally takes me half an hour, really think about how long you're actually on the throttle. Yeah. Because generally when you blow, you're only blipping every few minutes or every few seconds. So 
the runtime sort of depends on what you're doing and how long you're cutting for and, and what it is that you're, you know, what the task is at hand. Yeah. But the runtime yeah. do generally vary depending on the application. The AP system is this guy here. Yes. So this is the yep. AP300S, for example. Like I said, it uses the same cells as the other ones, uh, as the AK, for example, but it's just a different housing. And the main reason being is we have to fit more batteries inside of it because you're generally doing more work with it, just like your property. So the AP system fits into 28 and growing uh, tools within our portfolio. And it's everything from brush cutters to lawnmowers to concrete saws to battery powered secateurs to battery sweepers, anything that you can think of doing in the backyard, we have a solution for. So the best thing about the AP system is it's perfectly suited for someone like yourself who has a large area to maintain. Uh, and the great thing is, is you only need one battery. So this is like your fuel tank. So you take the fuel tank out of your brush cutter when you finish brush cutting, you can put it in your hedge trimmer. Then you can put it in your mower or whatever else you have, uh, whatever task you have at hand. Yeah. And the greatest thing yeah. about the AP system is it's actually designed for commercial operators. So we are seeing a lot of people transition from that petrol powered equipment into battery. And the benefit is, as you mentioned, noise. So it means that they can start a job, you know, five, six in the morning without waking up the whole neighborhood as they clear the main street down in the local town. Yep. And that's where yep. the BGA 200, the blower in the background comes into play. So that's our large commercial um, battery blower. And it is designed for larger councils and larger landscapers to do you know, quite a fair bit of uh, clearing behind it. I mean, that with a backpack battery that we also supply has a runtime of up to nine hours. So if you're doing a lot of work, that's we definitely have a solution for that as well. Do you know, the, the you know? big question, I suppose, is the runtime battery versus petrol. But it, it is this thing of now at a professional level, and, and I have a professional landscape company and we, we build and maintain gardens. Um, we now know that um, our clients prefer us to be operating with the battery system in the city environment or in built up environments. Um, they sort of say, look, you know, we just love the fact that you've gone around and you've cleaned the whole place pretty much with your blowers and we didn't even know you were there. And that's the, that's the level of quiet that battery delivers, right? It's amazing. Oh, absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, back in the day, your alarm clock on a Sunday was your neighbour ringing out a two-stroke machine at seven o'clock in the morning, whereas now you can sleep in without knowing that they ever did their lawn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I, I think battery is a really interesting area, mate, and your role as a steel battery product manager, you'd be seeing this technology evolving rapidly, really, as, it, as it's going along. But still, as it has done, you know, pretty much with everything that it's ever done before, with 95 years of German engineering excellence behind it, um, it's just leading the way in this area. So people can rely on on still to deliver consistently. Now, if people want to get their hands on these products or to learn a little bit more about it, uh, it's not commonly found in, in all retail outlets. Still, you have to go to a still dealer, don't you? Correct. So still is a family-owned business owned by the still family, as you can imagine. So uh, we actually deal with family businesses only. We like to support local. We like to support the community wherever we can. So you'll find um, that still dealers are independently owned. Um, and they're the best point of contact to go to. And the benefit is, if you're not sure on what you need, the best thing I could recommend is take a photo of your backyard on your phone, pop into your local steel dealer and say, I need a solution for this. And they'll be able to tailor something that's perfectly suited for you. You don't have to worry about being upsold something you don't need or coming back because it's underpowered because they'll know exactly what task you have at hand and they'll be able to recommend the right equipment to get the job done for you. And not just that, but they'll assist you later on should you require any servicing requirements as well. Absolutely. Um, all of our equipment, doesn't matter what it is, we have part numbers for every single nut and bolt 
so that you can replace it and keep your machine running for years and years. Silvio, thanks so much for your time today. That's just been fantastic. Such an insight and such a revolution in gardening. It just makes it so much easier and now quieter as well. Well done, mate. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Trevor. All the best. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made Wolfgarten tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. Um, it's certainly an interesting area is the battery technology. It has changed gardening forever, I think. Um, I just love them. And I've got both powered uh, steel product and also the battery um, I'm, I love them both. I think that um, battery has amazed me, though, that its its ability to perform is as good as the, the power. It is quite remarkable. So for those of you that love an engine, that's okay. That's fine. It's still available. For those of you that just want to use battery power, it's certainly environmentally friendly and certainly from a noise point of view, sensational. And uh, he, was, uh, he was great talent. It was lovely to have a chat to him. Well, this is it, folks. We're going to go into the home run, and it's your chance to basically uh, ask your questions. So fire them through, and what we'll do is we'll go straight to Bathurst. Uh, we've got Kalina there. Hello, Kalina. Uh, what's the best way to control suckers from Italian poplars? Is there a spray you can use, or should you just keep cutting them off? And the answer is don't cut them. That's actually where you're going wrong. So the trick is to pull them away, and if you rip them off, you'll damage the growth buds on either side. If you cut them you'll stimulate the growth buds to pop up. So you'll end up with two or four for every one you, you cut off. So just rip them away. I know it's a bit hard sometimes if they're getting big, but, but it's the best way to go. And uh, that will stop them coming through with your poplar trees. Now, Valerie is in Lake Cathy in New South Wales. You've got a peace lily plant. It is, and so it's spathophyllum, it's indoors. But the white flowers have gone green. Is this due to low light? It actually is, believe it or not. Um, and sometimes they will naturally produce green flowers. It's a bit of an interesting one, but certainly moving them closer to a window, a bright window, will make a big difference. I hope that helps. Wendy is in Geelong. Uh, why is your corn so pale in colour? Now, that's a very good question, Wendy. Um, so corn is one thing that um, generally likes lots of sunlight. And if it's not getting enough, if it's getting shaded, it can affect the colour. It can also be the variety, and some varieties do tend to just be lighter in colour. Not 100% sure how to best answer that. Maybe the best thing to do is to send us a photograph and we can kind of have a little bit of a look. And I can tell you if there's a problem, but it's probably just Mother Nature at her very best. She's variable and we'll get we'll get variances and everything just as we do in people. Kelly is in Melbourne. Um, thank you very much. You said you absolutely enjoy watching the show. The soil in your garden is horrible, hard and clay. Now, water doesn't soak in the soil, making it really hard to grow. And this is this new product, this miracle magic product, which I've got some around somewhere. Anyway, I'll, I'll tell you about it next week, I think, because I think we need to do a little bit more about it. Now, what it does, it's what they call biogenic amorphic silica. It is an ancient fossilised rock, and it's highly porous. And when you put it into the ground, so the trick is getting some poles and banging them into the ground and putting holes into it. And then you put the biomorphic, uh, sorry, the biogenic amorphic silica into it and put some soil back on top, wet it, and you'll find it opens it up. It gets the air into it. The ideal scenario is to try and break it all up if you can, 
and then mix uh, the, the miracle magic into it. And that's what that stuff's called. So keep your eye out for it. It will really help. It improves the aeration in the soil, which is vitally important to healthy, productive soils. Kirsty is in Maitland in New South Wales. You've got capsicum, sweet chocolate, and it's fruiting. But something's eating the leaves, and you've got you can see eggs under the leaves. What could it be? How can I stop it? It will be. I'll guarantee you it'll be grubs. And the solution is to use one of those biological controls. So something like Success, um, really good. You just spray it over the top. The leaves, uh, the 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 larvae that'll hatch out of the the um, the eggs under the leaves will eat it and it'll stop them from eating. They won't eat your plants anymore. It is important you control it because they will also get into the fruit. And that sweet chocolate capsicum is delicious and it looks great as well. It doesn't taste like chocolate, it tastes like a capsicum and uh, the colour refers to the fruit, which goes a nice chocolate colour. Nikki is in Cloncurry uh, in northern Queensland. Now, you've got an issue with grasshoppers eating your fruit trees' leaves. What's the best spray to stop it? Grasshoppers is a really difficult one, but there is a bait system. It's a brand bait, and you can use that. And by spreading that around, what you do is you actually wet the, the leaves of the tree and then you throw the brand baits around. They'll stick to the leaves and the grasshoppers will eat the brand bait. And it's a natural, well, it's not a natural control. It's a chemical control, um, but it is the best way to go. Um, the best thing to do is pop into your local garden centre, tell them you want grasshopper brand baits and uh, they'll get them in. It comes from a company called David Gray's. Last question, and it goes to Rena in New South Wales. How do you get rid of green mould on the trunks of trees? And the question I'd ask is, why do you want to get rid of it? Because it's not hurting the, the tree. It's actually a natural biological thing. I would be, I would just be leaving it. It's, it's a natural thing and it's just an indication that you've got good moisture levels and it won't hurt the tree. It won't do anything other than probably provide uh, a natural food resource for the plant because what it's doing is it's breaking down the old dead wood of the, of the bark or the trunk and um, what that'll do is provide a little bit of nutrient to the tree. It's, it's not going to hurt. Serena, unless you're absolutely desperate to clean it off and the way to do that is to literally is to use a copper spray, um, I'd leave them. Just leave them on. It's the best way to go. You know, gardening is a completely natural thing and we should work with nature, not against it. Uh, synthetic chemicals and things like that are really not necessary if we can get the balance right. So the balance gets down to having a healthy soil, making sure that the environment is a healthy environment. So, you know, more chemicals you use, more often than not, they seem to take out all the good pests. So we want to attract the good pests into the garden. So having flowers encourage things to grow, you'll find you end up with a better balance. It's what nature is all about. That's it for this week's show. I can't believe it. It's flown by today and I really appreciate you tuning in. Thank you so much for joining us. The Garden Gurus Live will be back next week. Um, it'll be Monday, 12pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. That is, of course, 9am Western Standard Time. Uh, Lachlan's going to reach out to our winners. Make sure you check your messages to see whether you won those packet seeds from our really good friends at Fothergills for this amazing book. Um, they will be notified very soon. Check your inbox. The Garden Guru's Autumn Series is back on Channel 9. It's 4.30pm coming up this Saturday. Remember, you can always catch past episodes by going to ninehour.com.au. You can watch stories on our website. You can also go to our YouTube channel, uh, The Garden Gurus. Just simply pull it up on YouTube and you can watch past episodes. We've been doing this 
for 20 years. It's hard to believe. And we've got a lot of those stories, a vast majority, which is literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them up there on YouTube. They're a great resource. Speaking of resources, if you want any facts, any tips, any fact sheets, check out our website. And I'll look forward to you being able to join us next week. We do have uh, today's live stream popping up on our Facebook page. You can catch previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Audible. And I'll look forward to seeing you again next Monday at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Happy gardening. Stay safe, everybody. We've got all our love coming your way to everybody who's being challenged with these floods in New South Wales. Take care. We'll see you soon. Trevor Cochran. The Garden Gurus is back this weekend. Make sure you check out your local TV guide for your local time. I got my home, I got my rig, and I'm ready to go.